Rocker Mike, and you're on the Rocker Mike and Rob Present Show. Rob, say hello. Hey, how's everybody? How's Dina? How you doing, Nina? I'm fine, thank you. Okay, we got Nina Antonia here today, the fantastic author, uh, live from live from England of all places. She's in lockdown, right, Nina? Yeah, the lockdown. lockdown in London. Wow, wow. Okay, well, let's let's make the best of it today. We're going to talk about your career. Uh, I have to say right off the bat, Nina, I've been a fan of yours for over 30 years, and it's an honor to speak to you. I've always wanted to speak to you and pick your brain a little bit because, you know, you started out your career writing about one of my favorite people, and that's Johnny Thunders, one of my all-time favorite musicians. Um, but, you know, you went on to write about quite a few other people. Um, Peter Parrott, um, the New York Dolls, you wrote a book about them. Uh, you wrote about uh, Brett Smiley, a book called The Prettiest Star. But then you've been getting into some fiction, right, recently, in recent years? I have been getting into some. T- well, I had my first novel published about three years ago, which is The Greenwood Fawn. Right. So that a huge step forward. But I, I wanted to say to you, it's interesting, and I understand why you say career, but I think writing about Johnny was it was a vocation and it was a calling and yeah. – when I wrote in Cold Blood, I had no intention of of carrying on writing. It's just how I suppose I was a bit like a leaf in a breeze. I knew I had to write about Johnny, but beyond that, I had no other kind of ambition until it sort of happened. Wow! Wow! So, wow. really, like, did you did you think you were not going to write anymore after that book? Is that that you were just going to write the one no. book and that's it? I don't think I explained that well. I knew that I wanted to be a writer, but actually getting that book written and doing it, I didn't think in my wildest dreams that it was going to be a possibility. And it happened quickly and very easily. It was very, very strange. Wow. Well, well, how did you start getting interested in writing in general? How did did you go down Um, that road? I think I was an only child. I didn't have supportive parents actually I I should say I have a younger brother but I felt very isolated in my youth and um, I loved reading that was a a key to sort of freedom and other worlds I think sure sure now you're originally from Liverpool oh I am indeed yes (laughs) okay okay beautiful beautiful place I've never been there but that's what I've heard Uh, but I read somewhere that you know you're not a Beatles fan no, I can see, I can understand now why the Beatles were so important. But I think, you know, growing up in Liverpool in the 1960s, the Beatles were everywhere and it was mandatory right. that you should like them. And I remember waking up one morning and the babysitter was sticking pictures of John, Paul, George and Ringo on the wall. I mean, God, I must have been about eight years old. And I was saying, I don't want those up. Take them down. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I, I totally, I totally relate to that, Nina, because, um, you know, one, well, I, actually, one of the biggest shows we ever did was on the making of the Revolver mm. album. That hit had a lot of downloads, but I, I'm never, a, I'm never above criticizing anybody. Some people, uh, some people think that there's certain bands that you, you know, you just can't criticize. The Beatles are oh, kind of yeah. one of them. Um, and I don't agree with that at all because they got well, some clunkers. And, you know, and, and Sergeant Pepper is also not one of my no. favorite Beatles mm-hmm. albums. So, you know, it's like, but, you know, you can't say that in some circles because they think you're crazy. But, you know, 
never mind that. There's a lot of bands out there. I was always more of a Stones fan anyway, but I do recognize the Beatles for what they were. I, I crap like at them whenever I can. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But you grew up, uh, you, you know, you were a teenager during the punk scene. I was, care, right? yes. I think I said that I had now, to be the only person ordering in punk magazine. That took up all my pocket money. Wow. Now, how did that scene really affect you in the way that, it, you know, your future would go in, at, as a teenager? I think it was so much that it wasn't so much punk. It was that Johnny and Jerry had left the New York Dolls and that was the direction right. that they had gone in. And I'd absolutely adored the Dolls. I, I thought that they were the future of rock and roll, as, as we do. But they really, I think, for a lot of the people that, did become part of the punk movement of a certain age. They were very pivotal. Sure, sure. I mean, they they were definitely uh, influential to to the whole UK scene and the American yeah. scene. I mean, without the Dolls, you wouldn't have had uh, you know the Ramones or uh, even the Sex Pistols. And there's that connection between Malcolm McLaren, the Dolls, and the and the Pistols as well. I, I guess that the dolls were kind of the dynamite, although they blew themselves up too. That that started. That's punk. the thing. Yeah, right. It's a good way of putting it. They kind of blew everybody up, including yeah. themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's true. Um, you know what? What I always thought about your book uh, in Cold Blood. Right. Uh, what I knew of Johnny just from hearing about him and people that did know him. Um, he. Seen, he came across as a shy guy, mm. right? Pretty much. How did he open up to you? What was the, what, what, what how did that happen? Because he seems like a guy that wouldn't open up as much. But yet, that you know, that book is quite candid. And, and really, it's, to this day, it's really the Bible on Johnny Thunders. I mean, is you know, you're the only person that's really written about him in any in-depth way. Uh, yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, you know, how, how did you how did you gain his trust? You still there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It just yeah, showed that it, it had now? dipped out for a second. Oh no 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 we're okay we're okay I was I was asking you um, how did you gain Johnny's trust to to open up? Well, I he wasn't a great <laughs> chatterbox, but. <laughs> right. Yeah. Despite the name of the song. Yeah, but you know. and he was shy. Um but he yeah. allowed me to be around him and to be around management and just generally observe and it was through the observation and of course asking the odd questions that I got a better understanding of who he was. And also he had a lovely girlfriend, Suzanne, who I think she understood what I was trying to do and she was supportive of it. So I had access, even though I didn't get to New York at that time because Johnny was in Europe a lot of the time. I mean, I loved New York. He was so proud yes. of being a New Yorker, but he was appreciated in Europe, which is how come he got to live in Paris for a while and London. Right, right. Um, he definitely was more popular in Europe than he ever was in America, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, that, you know, hey, look, that's, oh, that's, yeah. that happens a lot. Uh, sometimes the, gra the greatest artists aren't appreciated. Yeah, it's true. You, you're, it's, it's something like you, you can't know? be a prophet 
in your own town or something. It's a thing. Yes. I, I was just I was just thinking yeah. of that analogy myself. You're right. They, you know, a prophet isn't, a, yeah. isn't appreciated yeah. in his home. Yeah, it's always it's amazing how these guys, some of these guys couldn't make it in America. And then they went to London or anywhere else and they became rock stars. I think the European sensibility when it comes to music is, is way different than American. I think they're way more open minded. Uh, you know, just some, I mean, I'm a, I, I love a lot mm. of British bands. Nina. Okay. A lot of music I listen to is actually British, but uh, the average American, I think, you know, just doesn't put that much effort into searching things out and finding good music. And when I was growing up, that was what I found uh, a little more closed minded. And then that, I think that that's unfortunate for us, but for you guys on the other side, you know, you, you definitely, I, I always love the way the English would kind of take American music Kind of like what yeah, Stone yeah. did with R and B and stuff, and just and just kind of like spit it back at America in a different way, and it's just even even better, you know. But, but <laughs> it's, there's it's another true. difference though. The British you know? can do that, but we're also very faddy, so we can spin it right back and make it front page news, but we'll have forgotten about it three months later. But Americans have better That's true. memories, and they will keep that love going for a band it doesn't matter if they're 50 or 60 they're still worth talking about where in england it, it moves very rapidly all the time yes yes, yes. bands sometimes yeah. become old hat in six months and then you guys are moving on to i don't think scene. that's true think that's true. rock and roll is quintessentially uh, american i don't think it's english which is why the stones did take from all the great black american artists that's true. I agree. I agree. But, you know, it's it's always interesting. And the Stones being an example is, is like you say, uh, mm. they, they've lasted so long. People still talk about them like they're just starting out now, you know, and uh, it's amazing. They've lasted this long. Now, you know, Johnny uh, was a big Stones yeah. fan. OK. And there's one thing I wanted to ask you. And I, I think I think I'm right in what I always thought, but I wanted to confirm it with you. Was he actually in Gimme Shelter? Is that him? During well, he never said movie? anything about it, but he was like that. I, I mean, I think it looks like Johnny. I think it does. You get the hair and everything, and he's like, I, it looks like he's on somebody's shoulders or um, he's being lifted up. But you could see, you could see him clean, clear, you know, clear as, as day. You know, but there were always people that said, oh, he's just saying it's him. You know, <laughs> it's not really him. But who else looked like that? I know, that's the thing in common. <laughs> and of course, he would have gone to see the Stones. But also Sylvain, when I interviewed him, mentioned it in the New York Dolls mm -hmm. book. And, you know, when you're saying, and there was this other really cool guy from Queens. And yeah. we all knew that he'd seen the Stones yeah. and blah, blah. So I would assume it's Johnny. It's not your yeah, I think so. Did, did were you aware that uh, Arthur Kane and Rick Rivets were at that show? Too? No, and I um, interviewed both Arthur yes. and Rick, unless they told me. But I don't think that's in the Dolls book. No, no, I don't think it's mentioned in the book. I, no. I was friends with Rick. Yeah. Rivets. I think I mentioned that to you, and he uh, and he 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 told me that, and uh, 
they were together, and, mm-hmm. but they were like way in the back. They were nowhere up front where Johnny was. Well, they were both yeah. tall, so. and Johnny was shorter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Wilson was, was tall. Yeah, yes, they were indeed. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. So, um, you know. Uh, for everybody listening, you know, Nina's book in cold blood is really, like I said, the, the Bible on Johnny thunders, but she's written about a lot more interesting people too. And uh, one person I wanted to talk That's about right. was Peter. The show, Perry. didn't you? Was uh, it just music or what, what was it? Oh, well, uh, after we're done with the interview today, uh, me and Rob are going to be recording okay. a show about okay. Peter and the only ones. And uh, your book is going to oh, be cited nice. quite a bit. Because you, you know, again, again, you're, you know, you, you wrote another book that's a Bible on the subject. Okay, there's not much about Peter Pan. No, look, I'm, I'm not a prophet and, in uh, my own what? country, so it's really nice to be doing this podcast. And it doesn't surprise me that it, that you guys are in New York. So, yeah, well, you know, the only ones um, growing up for me, I, I, I didn't get to see them. Mm. I was a little too young. But uh, always heard about the shows, always heard the, the legendary shows at Haraz and stuff like that. And I knew people that did go to see them. And to this day, I know at least two people that say these, these shows were some of the best shows they, yeah. ever, they ever saw in a, club, in, in a club. But what made you write about Peter? I always wanted to write about outsider characters. And it was Johnny that actually introduced me to Peter and his wife and manager, Zena. And, yeah, I just thought it was as outside as it could be. And it was a cynicism, a cynicism and beauty to Peter's songwriting that made me think of the French decadence. You know, that's that's how my brain worked. Sure, sure, sure. Were you a fan of... um... Of him, like, did you ever listen to England's Glory? Oh, yeah. the band he had I, I did. The I did the whole journey, and also, I mean, I loved John Perry's guitar playing, and you know, yes. Peter, Zena, and John remain friends to this day. Right, right, and uh, they have collaborated beyond the only ones as well. With uh, wasn't he in the one in the early nineties? Perry, Perry, John Perry was in wasn't lineup, in that right? lineup. No. No, no. But he oh, did, my he mistake, did my a mistake. lot of okay. sort of side oh, projects was... with Peter to see if they could get it off the ground. So, right, right, right. He is an amazing guitar player. Kind of overlooked a little bit, yeah. I think, in the scheme of things. But uh, um, uh, when 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 England's Glory, okay, was was playing around, did you? Oh, get I think to see I would still have been at school. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah yeah well you you were you were too young like exactly. I was too young to see the only ones uh yeah yeah but did you see the only you know i didn't i didn't wow but then i was really? stranded i was stranded in liverpool but that's that's another story oh no that's in the prettiest star actually oh but oh okay okay well yeah let's, hang let's on i was just gonna say johnny star. introduced right. me to two people that he specifically wanted me to mm-hmm. sort of meet up with. And that was Jimmy Miller, who obviously produced Johnny and the Stones, and ironically was living opposite yes. me at one point. Um, wow. And Peter and Zena, wow. as I said. So he was, I mean, Johnny was very, 
-hmm. very generous. And I, I remember at one point him saying, oh, David Johansson has said he'll talk to you. And he was really excited about that. But actually, David Johansson was pretty cool when I finally got the courage to, uh, I mean, cool as in he didn't want to talk about Johnny. He's an interesting cat. I've heard many stories about David, but yeah. Um, you know, the books that you wrote about the dolls, okay, the, the In Too Much Too Soon book, actually, uh, that came out in 2005. You know, there's a lot of stories about the dolls. Now, were they all pretty much on board, the, the remaining dolls, as to the way you told it? Or was there kind of like maybe some disagreements into, into the way... Nobody, nobody said anything to me. I mean, you know, Johnny and Jerry, of course, come out of it very well. Um, and each band member is going to have a different opinion. Sylvain was always very talkative. Arthur Kane was always very yes. sweet. And I mean, I used to email with Arthur regularly when it had nothing to do with the book, just to try and keep his spirits up because... I don't know. He just seemed so fragile. And there was, I'd occasionally get emails from him going, Oh, now I bought my cats their food. I have no money for food left. And I think, in a way, the Mormon church gave him the love and acceptance he'd been looking for. It was a really sad story. Yes. But well, the, the, mo the movie New York Doll really gets into that. And you're in that movie. Um, they, they just uh, approached me and they seemed like really nice people and very professional because I think the main guy behind it um, worked in advertising. He, he knew how to film right. things and they had a nice attitude. They were from the Mormon church. And I do remember it was quite funny when they came to my house to interview me, they were sort of wearing all these lovely pastel colored jumpers like pink and lime green. And they looked like <laughs> a Battenberg cake, but they were such sweet guys. And they really liked, they liked yeah. Arthur. They respected Arthur. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that movie is that documentary is amazing. Uh, what's so sad about it is it's just at the end he he just passes away and and he really there was no time even. It seemed like, you know, he got his wish to play again with the dolls, the reunion. And I I, I actually saw the dolls at that time, but it was right like a few weeks yeah. after Arthur mm -hmm. had passed away. They they played a gig on Randall's Island here wow. in New York City, and uh, this was like two or three weeks after. Uh, I was, I had, I was psyched all summer to, for this show, okay? Because you know they had done the, I think it was the Royal Albert Hall show oh, that yeah, Morrissey yeah. put together. Yeah, yeah. Over that was. I think no, it was the Royal Festival Hall, and I I was at that, and it was very it oh, was very me. moving yeah. for Arthur and Sylvain. It was it was lovely for them, and it was very sad in other ways. Yeah, it was. And and then he just didn't make it to play New York. And I mean, I was at that I was at that uh, festival. It was an outside festival on Randall's Island. It was like a 12 hour ordeal. There was so oh, many bands yeah. one after another. Little Steven put, put it together and uh, the dolls came on. I think it was like, you know, the last three acts was the dolls, the Stooges and the strokes i think the strokes ended the show 
And uh, it was amazing when they came out just to hear these songs. I mean, obviously, I was too young to see the dolls. And even just to, 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 to see just a couple of them on stage was, was pretty cool. Um, are you a fan of the, of the work they did? You know, the, the, the two albums they had um, afterwards? I, I mean, the, the dolls, I was, like I say, with the reunion, I was really happy for Arthur and Sylvain. But that's that's where it stopped mm-hmm. for me. I I just, and once Arthur died, I just thought this is the too few dolls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. That's true. <laughs> and they had guys from the Libertines and the band, I think, and and I, I forget who else. But then uh, they went on. They recorded the two albums. I don't. Know, a lot of people call it the fake dolls. I've I've heard people refer to it like that, but. Uh, I mean, it's it's good. Sylvain, Sylvain still plays that music. Uh, he's still around and playing. And I know he's had some yeah. health issues too, but I, I think he's Oh, I okay hope so. I, I, can, uh, I think I would have been fine with the Dolls reunion afterwards if they'd called themselves something like the two New York Dolls or, <laughs> you know. Anyway. Where have you gone? Where's Mike? Oh, you're back. Yeah, maybe he's doing something. He's gone. No, nah, he's still on. He's still on. He's not gone. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever uh, talk to uh, Richard Hell? Oh, I have a great Richard Hell story. <laughs> well, no, I, do, I interviewed him for Record Collector magazine, and, and he That's was. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if you've ever read that interview, but in that, but he said that he was going to hang me out of the window of the hotel because I didn't appreciate his lyric writing as much as I appreciated Johnny's. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because I, I was just looking at that, um, and it was pretty funny that you traveled to New York and hell. I thought it was pretty funny, the name of the article. Oh, yes, it is funny. But I mean, I think Richard Hell was, was an amazing character in his own right, but he can't yeah. tell me off for my loyalty to the Heartbreakers. He was, you know, Richard Hell wasn't cut out to oh, be he a never, Heartbreaker. He never wanted to be a Heartbreaker. He wanted to just do his own stuff, right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Sorry about that. I had a little yeah. microphone problem there. Um, <laughs> this is oh, very low okay. budget, Nina. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's right. But, um, yeah, we're actually actually uh, Richard. Speaking of Richard Hell, he actually is. Uh, I found out this week he's he's releasing his second album, Destiny Street, again. It's going to be some kind of like three or four CD set. Uh, well, we're hoping to speak to him. That might be happening. We're going to try that. I, I hope you do. I I actually thought Destiny Street was a great album. I thought it was his really? best album. I, 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 Generation, but mm-hmm. Destiny Street is 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 very good. Has some good songs on it. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, I want to get back to uh, Peter Parrot a little bit. Um, when when you did the book, okay, you it came out in 1996, and I know that it was revised and came out oh, a few years ago, right? Again, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's a, there's an interesting interview that you added on at the end of the revised edition. Um, and I just, just read it the other day, as a matter of fact. And it seemed like Peter maybe 
was a little I don't know, like he 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 wasn't totally uh happy with the original version of the book in some of the some of the ways that was depicted. But what I what I found interesting Nina is, you know, when you read the book, he's he's telling he's he's opening up to a lot of a lot of very personal stuff. But then in the interview it seemed like he wanted to go back on some of that, you know what I mean? And kind of change it. Did you find that to be the case? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, I did. Um, but I don't know. You, you, I think the problem is you can't remake the past. He was happy to for me to work mm. on the book at the time. And I gave him and Zina a copy of every single chapter to look at as I was writing it, which is what I used to do with, with sure. Johnny and his management. Yes, I'm here. He's still there. Yeah. Um, and Peter didn't look at it. Oh, he didn't I read see. the right. chapter. All right. And then he was going <laughs> to complain afterwards. Well, you, <laughs> you, you let him know, you know. <laughs> But the uh, the other thing is that other people around him read it and always whispering in his ear. Well, goodness knows what they're yeah. going to say. How is he these days? Do you keep in touch with him? Uh, he's fantastic, and he's now got another version of the band featuring yes. his sons, and he seems happy with within the family right. unit. He came out with two. Uh two solo albums in 2017 and 2019, the how the West was won and human world. I believe the, 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 the yeah, it was called yeah. uh, mm -hmm. that both of those albums feature his, his kids, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the band Peter, Peter Jr. And Jamie yeah. are, are yeah, the that's band. Great. It's amazing that he was able to, you know, pull himself out of, of the, you know, the lifestyle and everything and, and, and get back. Um, I was going to say, I think, though, that Zena holding the family together as a unit, she's just such a warm and wonderful person. It couldn't have happened oh, without uh, her. In reading your book about him, uh, it just was clear as as day that he really couldn't have done anything without her. She she was real. She was really, <laughs> you know, the glue of, of his career and his family, too. OK, uh, you know, managing him. And, and, you know, guiding him and, and, and kind of like pushing him along, you know, when he might have been depressed or, uh, you know, not sure of things. She was she always had confidence in him from I think from the moment she met him. You know, it's really it's really yeah. an amazing. Yeah, story. I mean, I, I was going to say also, I think for Johnny could see that and maybe slightly he was slightly wistful about it because I think he, of course, would have had a like to have had a partner there to keep him stable in the long term. And he yes. may have survived, but he was a different character and I than think Peter. And his relationship with Johnny, you know, felt that Johnny was a, a lonely kind of guy. And Johnny was. I mean, you could you didn't have to know him mm. to, to, to actually see that. You know what I mean? So it's it, it, it's sad to me when when people have such great talent, but their you know, their lives can be so unhappy at the same time, you know. Well, I, I think, you know, he had emotional issues, right. but, but when you listen to those songs, he wrote a lot about loneliness. You can't put your arms mm -hmm. around a memory and so alone and alone in a crowd. It's a the, reoccurring 
theme that missing and maybe it was his you know his father left abandoned him and his his mother and sister when he was a child and that may have been the irreparable yeah, yeah. wound and, i mean bob dylan said yeah, that yeah. he wishes he wrote you can't put your arms around a memory all right and so yeah, he oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, johnny johnny was just that good you know you <laughs> did bob dylan was actually envious of him you know I know he. I mean, the the thing about Johnny was that he was innately great. He could walk down the street and be innately great. It was. It was. It was a it gift. Was. Um, um, yeah. I want to talk to you about another book you wrote, "The Prettiest Star," about whatever whatever happened to Brett. Oh Smart. yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. What got you on that topic? Is it the same kind of theme, like this outsider uh, theme that you like to write about people like that? Very much so. And also, I loved the idea of, of writing a book about somebody who just released yes. one single. I mean, what did you Right, right. I mean, you had the one song, Va Va Voom, okay? And uh, yeah. the interesting thing, Smiley was an American, right? And he... Yeah. Made, I don't know if the song was actually released in America. I know it was released on the British. Uh, did you... You know, it didn't really do anything. I mean, what what made you write about him just because he was like a one-hit wonder type? Well, yeah, it was that, but it was also because don't you have anything from your childhood that becomes like a mystery to you? Right. And I wondered what had happened was all this phenomenal build-up, or maybe I'm just strange. <laughs> to me, it was like, well what, well, what had happened to this guy? Because, and also because we are still wrapped up in the idea of fame shows and stage kids and everybody hoping to make it and knowing that if they make it, they're really happy yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And it just, not everyone can succeed and some people get fucked up along the way and we just brush them well, under the carpet. It's so different today uh, compared to the 70s. Okay, I mean, uh, the, the, the fame today, mm. you know, in, in some ways, it's kind of what you were saying about how the British are trendy and, and you know, fatty and, and, you know, every six months, it's a different thing. Yeah. You know, with this American Idol society, we kind of live in and, you know, dancing with the stars and these people that kind of like, you know, they're famous for a little bit for an appearance on TV. It's kind of like what Andy Warhol said, right? Everybody will be famous for, for 15 minutes at some point. You know, yeah. Now, yeah, now it's, yeah, it's so five say, minutes. Now you're lucky if it's five minutes. <laughs> but um, give a little, give a little, uh, give a little kind of backstory on Brett Smiley, uh, because a lot of people probably haven't heard of him. He just did this one single, um, but uh, Andrew Luke Oldman w w was involved with his career, I think, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. He was his manager. I mean, that's a big deal. I think, yeah, it was a huge deal. It's a book that you don't need to know who Brett is to read it because it's sort of a book where he's growing up as this former child star that's managed by Andrew Lugoldum and it should have been, they both should have become millionaires out of it. Why didn't they? And I'd had this horrible childhood, so I was trying to find mm -hmm. myself through the, I don't know, the metaphor of Brett. And then eventually I do oh. get to meet Brett, which was like such a oh. trip. You know, yeah, that was yeah. so he, weird. He, he passed away a few years yeah. back, right? 
sadly. He did, yeah. He found himself for a little bit, but then it, it I seem to speak to, I have the unfortunate gift of speaking to everybody oh. just before they die. Uh, but he was in, he'd relapsed and he was in a very, very sad state. And I, I remember saying to him, the, I think the only thing you can do at this stage is pray. Yeah, yeah well, pray, there's a lot of power in prayer, that's for sure. But um, some people, they just, yeah. you know, they, they can't beat the demons, unfortunately. Yeah. No, no, the demons of addiction. He couldn't. It was. It was. It was awful to hear him sound like that because after the CD came out, we got his um, songs re-released, and the book came out. There was interest in him, and people did like his music, but it didn't play out. It never played out for yeah, Brett the way yeah. it should have well, done. For everybody, check out that song, Va 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 Voom. Okay, you can hear it on YouTube and other places. It's a great track. Should have been a big hit. I mean, he had the power of, of uh, Andrew Lugo Old, Oldham behind him, but yeah, yeah. He well, did. you also were in a couple of movies. I mentioned New York Doll. Uh, you were also yeah. in uh, Looking for Johnny in 2014. Uh, and, yes. and and and. Oh, can I mention? Sorry, sorry, I interrupted, but I, I'm in a, um, there's, oh gosh, what are they called? Uh, it's after the Flaming Groovy song. There's a Teenage Head movie oh, really? just about to come out that uh, was made. We're big fans of the Flaming Groovies. I didn't know there was something being made about Yeah. Oh, this, is, this is Teenage Head, though, the, the Canadian yeah. band. Oh, oh, oh. It's a, it, oh, I know of them. You yeah, know I, them. I have at least one of their albums, maybe two. Um, they're, I mean, they're named after the Flame and Groovy's album. So, is this is this a is this a documentary exactly. about Teenage Head? Oh, I see. It is because they were Canada's great loved and lost oh, yeah. punk yeah. band, as it were, and they, they were huge Johnny Thunders yes, fans. Were. So that was why I, I was for that massive okay. Thunders okay. When does fans. That come out, Nina? Well, I think because of worldwide lockdown, it has come out, but I'm not I'm not sure what's happened it, with it. It looks beautiful. Again, it's done by somebody okay, in advertising. Okay. Danny 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 Garcia is not involved, right? Or is that no, no, yeah. no nothing to do with with Danny. It's a guy mm-hmm. called Doug Arrowsmith who is who has made some other films I and documentaries. I actually was in touch with Danny. Uh, earlier in the week, um, his next project, I believe, is about Wayne County. Yeah. Oh, that's great for yeah, Wayne. Yeah. I love Wayne. Wayne, Jane, right? Jane. And, uh, I, you know, we, we, you know, we're here in New York, so I, I offered to help in any way I could, and he said he'll let me know. You know, if we interview him or something, you know. Yeah, it's really good. So, but uh, now you were also in the stick. The... I know we should have. You should. Sorry, you should have Danny on your we show. Did. It'd be very interesting, I think. Uh, he was down he was down in Brazil oh. and he was nice enough to come on and do like a you know, a Zoom kind of thing with us. And uh when was that, Rob? Like about two, three months ago? Yeah, it was uh, it was during the summer. I think it might have been August. August. Right? Yeah, Maybe he came August. on in the middle of the week. Uh it was great. Uh he, you know, he's a he's a he's a fantastic uh filmmaker. I mean, everything he's done, the documentaries. You know, I love, uh, and you're, you know, you're in, uh, you're in two of them, right? You're in Looking for Johnny, and then the Stiv yeah. movie called No Compromise, Stiv Bates, yeah. No Compromise. Uh, yeah, that was great. I guess you're a big fan, you're a big fan of, 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 uh, of Stiv, right? Um, 
I thought Steve was an absolutely an absolute sweetheart, and I met him through Johnny, and I didn't see the Dead Boys. I saw Lords of the New Church plenty of times when they were playing in London, um, and he was just such a sweet, sweet uh, guy. What a, can I, I say? I mean, his death. I, um, I had seen him actually with the Dead Boys reunion in 86. They played in New York City, and then I'd seen mm-hmm. him in Lords of the New Church, but uh, there was a show that he did with Joey Ramone, uh, at the old Ritz, it was a bunch of bands were playing, and and Stiv was was involved with it. Uh, he had like a, a he was playing with Cheetah, but it wasn't the Dead Boys. It was just kind of like a, they had a name. I forget the name for that night, but uh, Michael Monroe was there and everything. And I met Stiv for I talked to him for about twenty minutes, and he was fantastic, very friendly. You know, it was right before mm-hmm. the, the the end of the Lords of the New Church. You know, which is, you know, we did a show about yeah. Steve, uh about a month and a half ago. And, you know, I went into detail the whole story about how he, you know, the last show when he comes out with the T-shirt on saying, you know, the band is looking for a new singer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, awesome. it's great. I love that story, you know. But um, mm. I got a question for you. Why is why do you think your work? is more popular in the USA than in the, in the, in the UK. Partly I think because I wrote a lot about American artists before people were writing those stories about American yeah. artists. Yeah, definitely. Um, and also, I think because the Rock and Roll Writers Club here is, is still America is a meritocracy, which means that you are accepted on on what you do and if you do it well. The UK is, I think, more based on what public school that you went to. And without naming names, our two most successful punk writers both went to public school. Um, And it's about who you know and whether you fit in. So I I think that's probably got something to do with it. Now, you know, if you if you go to public school, you have you're kind of set up with a network for life, and you have very good education wow. behind you, and people like that here. The other thing that also counts for a lot here is, and it probably does in America, is academia, and there's been a new wave, I think, where people publishers are confusing academics mm. with writers. And just because you have a great academic brain, it doesn't mean that you can write in oh, a poetic manner. Um, you know, and it probably is a, a, a theme out there now that that's the case, but that's not true. Okay. Not... No, it's not true, but it's held yeah, that yeah. way at well, the I moment. Think that would it's really a lot of like very subpar people writing things, you know? It becomes yeah. very dry. I mean, I, I had yeah. a meeting. It was very funny in a not very funny way about somebody that had written for Rolling Stone and was an academic and they were going to be writing something about New York. And I said something about Johnny Thunders and they went, no, well, this guy has got a master's degree and he lived in Queens. Okay. Um, <laughs> but in all those years, okay. he'd never okay. once 
gone to CBGB's or Max's, and when I picked this book up, all the information had come out of my books. Yeah. I mean, it was credited, but so yeah. he, he knew he was an well, academic well, to do that. Can, but can I, he got can, big, big because of the qualifications. This guy something like maybe in his 30s right now, that age group. I, I no, oh, really? no, he was older. He'd written oh. for Rolling Stone. Yeah, so he could have he could okay, have gotten to like, those shows. The reason I say that is because, like the you know the millennial kind of generation, uh, they love to copy and paste, and they think that that's real research, and it's, it's not. Okay, I mean, going on Wikipedia and writing down what you're saying, you know, what you're seeing, is not researching. You know what I mean? Uh, I find that that's the case with with some younger people today is that that's the excuse for writing but it's not you know yeah no i i agree with you, but it also unfortunately spreads information it keeps disinformation, a, a disinformation, right, disinformation going exactly exactly yeah. all right now i wanted to ask you because you, you, your career took a, a little turn when you re, you know something different you got away from from writing about uh, musicians and you published something called the Greenwood Fawn in 2017 and it's a supernatural fiction based on Arthur Macken, Macken's, Macken's the Hill of Dr- Macken's the Hill of Dreams Macken. tell us about that um, well um, I think it was also that there wasn't anything else left in music that I felt that I wanted to write about. And I think it's also because musicians have a different attitude now. It's it's about the career and the big house and rather than, I suppose, the attitude and the freedom of it. So I had to find somewhere else. And I think the supernatural realm to write about it has a lot of freedom and it's still subversive. Um, Arthur Mackin's The Hill of Dreams is my favorite book, and it's about a Victorian author who wants to get this magical book published. He doesn't, but The Greenwood Fawn is what happened to this magical wow. manuscript. Okay. So it's kind of ba- it's, it's based on his so, writings, basically, right? His his book is the starting point of it, and then it, it takes off into different avenues and Pan, great god Pan is recalled and plays wow. his magical tune. So it still has, it is still ironically about music and the effect that music can have on people. And I interviewed Peter Doherty a few years ago and he said interestingly that every musician that makes the kids sort of find abandonment and freedom is an aspect of pan and go. i would agree with that um who are you listening to today <laughs> musically <laughs> johnny the doll <laughs> the dead boy <laughs> i've always listened to i'm a traditionalist right i'm not i'm not feeling very moved by too much out there right now you know um in 2018, uh, you were involved with the. Um, uh, you, you edited something for the, the the haunted writings of Lionel Johnson, right? Oh, that that has had some lovely reviews. I mean, I have to to say hello to Michael Durder at the Washington Post, who has been really really lovely about um, the Greenwood Fawn and my Lionel Johnson 
essays in a way that uh, the papers here just, I don't know, just goes over their heads. But they were lovely. And the Gay and Lesbian Review were lovely. The Lionel Johnson thing is a book that I put together and edited. He's a sort of forgotten Victorian poet. Um, and he had a drinking issue. Um, so I kind of tried to see. Yeah. Nothing really changes except the gadgets we use. People still have the same right. loves and heartbreaks. Right. The, best, the best art is about that stuff. You know. So, yeah, but, you know, you true. put this together uh, a couple of years ago, and I guess it was just something that you felt really had to be out there, right? Oh, it was it was another case that he was an outsider because he introduced um, Lord Alfred Douglas to mm-hmm. Oscar Wilde, and he tends to always get pushed out by um, the Oscar Wilde fanatics who write books. I mean, everything seems to have a cult of its own. So I thought, okay, well, Lionel's been left out in the cold, so there I'll bring go. him there back in go. for a bit. So what what have, what have you got coming up and now? You know, what are you working on now? Um, well, I hope to be doing something with the same publishers that put out Incurable, which is a Lionel Johnson book. Um, but I, I never say what gotcha. a book is in advance of, of what it is. But I, I really doubt, really sadly, actually, that it will be well, about I'm a rock fan and roll. Of your work, okay, uh, you know, I think you're a fantastic writer. Uh, you, you, it's you know, a lot of books about music are kind of like. They might be dry or they, you know, they might be kind of on the academic side. But, you know, the, the writings that you've done over the years, whether it was about the Dolls or Johnny or Peter, uh, you bring something to the story. And everybody I know says that that's read your books. I mean, I remember when In Cold Blood was uh, re-released in the I think it was the early 2000s or maybe late 90s. I, I forget when that was. Uh yeah, it was in, the, in that in that. Me region. too. <laughs> um, I think it was early two thousands, and it came with yeah. that that nice little CD with it, with like a a, a mix of Heartbreakers and oh, yeah. stuff. And everybody was what that I knew was excited because it was very hard at that point to find your original book, and I've seen it on eBay for two three hundred dollars. Okay, so I knew people that you know that I had turned into Johnny Thunder's fans. So I turned them on. And they were like, I would always say, you got to read this book. And they were like, well, you know, we can't find it. And then it came out and everybody, I think, I think I know 10 people that ran out and got it right away as soon as it came out, you know, <laughs> but no, I mean, you're, you're a fantastic writer and I want to thank you for coming on. Okay. Um, when you have this new material, whenever it is, uh, let us know. We'll be happy to you know, plug it for you. You can come on again and talk about it. Uh, it doesn't have to be about music, Nina. You could be on about anything. Okay. Oh, you've been, it's been lovely to talk to you. I feel like you're a kindred spirit. Absolutely. Thank you for your and, generosity. Uh, just keep in touch and, you know, we'll send you the links for the show as soon as everything is up, okay? Yeah, we'll definitely send you the links. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. What's Shall I leave the building now? Yes, you can. <laughs> Shall I leave the building the now? <laughs> Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, Rob. Give me, give me a call, all right? All right, Rob. All right, give me a call. Bye.